0: Welcome to another episode of Finding Mental Health, where we have candid conversations with thought leaders in the area of mental health. I'm your host today, Delaney Reston. I make documentaries around mental health issues, and as a primary care doctor, I see patients, many of them with mental health challenges, and I've had a lot of mental health issues in my family. Today I'm excited to have on the show Cinda Johnson. She's been working for a long time in mental health research. Even with that background, though, it hadn't prepared her for what happened when her daughter went off to college. Linnea had been an honors student in high school, loved playing the piano. But when she went off to college, things went terribly wrong. Since then, her daughter has gotten much better. And together, they've written a book called Perfect Chaos, Meanwhile, they've gone on to become a powerhouse mental health advocacy team. Cinda is a professor and the director of the Special Education Graduate Program at Seattle University. She is a national leader in research around how teenagers transition from high school to college. Today, she's going to share with us her experiences with finding help for her daughter and her work in helping others to find help when needed.
1: Hi, Cinda. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you, Delaney, for inviting me. This is very exciting.
0: Cinda, can you tell us a little bit about your experience when Linnea went to college and started having some mental health problems? What it was like for you to, th- where you went, where did you turn to?
1: Um, Linnea had had some depressions and some anxiety in high school, and, and I just kept thinking it was from outside of you know her. Her. It was the schedule. It was this or it's that. But when she went to college, she it started to overwhelm her, and she became very depressed. And I started off first by just asking, you know, colleagues and people who I trusted um, to come up with some thoughts and ideas. I really never suspected that it was that it was bipolar disorder at that point. And then when she became very ill and, and had to come home and was eventually hospitalized, it became pretty clear to me with the diagnosis that it was a very serious mental illness.
0: Mm. And when you were trying to get support from the college, was that a, a place to turn to? Was that at all helpful?
1: Um you know, that I think that's one thing that's really important to talk about, Delaney, because, you know, as you know, when a person turns 18, they don't have to tell their parents anything, and we were very, very lucky that Lania was so honest with us and allowed us to assist her and help her, but... um In the initial stages of the illness, the college, we weren't really working with the college because we didn't really know what it was. But I think that's the important part is the fact that she told us. And then when she went back after a medical leave, we were able to help her um, work with the college for accommodations and those kinds of things.
0: Were you already doing research on transition issues or, you know, transitioning from high school to college or did that come out of your experience with your daughter?
1: Yeah, my, my um, as we call it, scholarly agenda, or my area of interest for years in higher education has been disability and preparing students with disabilities for life after high school and doing research to find out how that went. And what was always um, a passion of mine was those students who had mental illnesses um, and mental health conditions were faring not very well after high school. They um, needed a lot more support, and and so that was already an area of interest. But once Lania became ill, it really um, changed and and deepened my commitment and my thinking about it.
0: Was that hard as a mom thinking, oh, I should have been like a specialist in this or I could have prepared myself or I should have known this?
1: You know what it really... Um, showed me was how hard it is and it changed my teaching with my graduate students and the way that I look at my data knowing that it is so so hard for families to find support in the community and to um, support a young person that moves from under family's care into after 18 out into the world where they might you know they don't have to get care if they don't want it and that was—I mean—it really changed everything because I had neglected that part of, um, just you know, just because I hadn't been there, I had neglected the how important community and family support is and how hard it is to do that in our current society.
0: What do you tell parents now who are have a child who's had some mental health challenges and they go
1: off to college? So I think one of the things is, is helping students identify uh, where they want to go after high school and then identify the supports around that. So if they're going to college, meeting with the disability student supports early, uh, perhaps Division of Vocational Rehabilitation might be some an agency they'd want to talk with. Um, if they're moving to another town, get set up with a therapist or a doctor in another town and get their parents as part of that conversation so that they can share information. And like with Lania, it wasn't that her psychologist was going to tell me everything she told her in therapy, but when Linnea was hospitalized the second time while in Chicago, that um, I could call that psychologist and she helped me find, you know, get connected to the hospital where she was. And uh, so, you know, we could talk to each other. So having everything put in place for that year after high school I think it's very important.
0: And so when teenagers go off to college, are they um, sent home with or can all parents and students talk about, let's fill out this form that if anything happens, you actually want me to hear about it?
1: No. Um, wow. that That... I think there's more of that now. There's mm-hmm. more discussion, but you know, I work with student development here at Seattle University, and you know, they have parents. They've I've heard this many times. They have parent tell like a, a, an RA, a resident, a resident assistant in the dorm. I just want you to know that my daughter's been diagnosed with bipolar, but she doesn't want you to know. Well, mm-hmm. you know, there's laws to protect. <laughs> That you know you 're not supposed to know that, so in the best of all worlds, that parent and that young uh, um, son or or daughter would sit down with the college and and all have a discussion and share that information, knowing that it's confidential and it won't be shared, but knowing that you know people are there to support that that young person. the parent can give that information, but the the um resident assistant can't do anything with it. Um, because they're they're not supposed to know that. I mean, they can't tell anyone, including the young person. They can't go to her and say, oh, your mom told me you have bipolar. Um, are you taking your meds? How can we help? You know, um, self-disclosure to the people who need to know is really important in those transition years. And families and parents can help students do that and be their own advocate.
0: And I wonder what your thoughts are about that we're uncomfortable at talking about certain mental health conditions with our with
1: our kids i I think it's the stigma uh of around that, and to me um one of the things that has really changed my thinking, and I've always believed that that depression and anxiety and eating disorders is are illnesses, but I've really changed my thinking that this is not just a disorder; these are diseases, and they're diseases that can be treated. And they're diseases that people can live well with, but they have to be um, diagnosed and treated. And, and we treat it like it's a character flaw. You know, like if you have an eating disorder that somehow that will trigger it or it's something you can prevent. But if we came about it from this is a brain, it's a brain-based, it's a full-body kind of illness that we have to be on our guard for, just like with um shin splints if you're a runner. You know, we should know the the symptoms, and it is hard to talk about it, though. Clear back in middle school and high school and even elementary school to have a language around mental illness that you know kids and families talk about what is depression and what is anxiety and what is an eating disorder, just like they do what is a you know pneumonia versus a sore throat versus um, strep throat, so that when your your child goes off to college or leaves home that they they know some symptoms and like just like they'd call home if they ran a hundred and two temperature for a week they're going to call home if they're feeling depressed. And then also talk about that turning 18. I just had a conversation with a family the other day about that, and I said, you know, the parents had never allowed each other to, I mean, given legal permission for the other, um, their partner to make any decisions around their health care. And they thought it was an ideal time for the whole family to come together and talk about that. And it's not just doesn't have to just be if you become mentally ill, but have that in place. So when your nineteen year old is all of a sudden um, brought down by depression in college, you're able to talk to the counselor, you're able to talk to a doctor, and your your uh, son or daughter is able to explain to you as well as they can what's going on with them. And talking about it with our with our kids, also gives them some language when they've got friends because that's how actually a lot of this started with Lania was a friend of hers that that was cutting and you know Lania felt comfortable enough to come to me and talk about it but that didn't necessarily have to be the case. When
0: your daughter came to you and told you about this, what did you do?
1: That was a really a tough one, but I helped her think about what she wanted to do because she was. I think she was 17 at the time or 16 and you know I said so here's some things that we could do you could talk to your teacher that you trust you could talk to a school counselor you could talk to this girl and and tell her that you're going you know ask her who she wants to talk to and go with her you could talk to her mother i could talk to her mother so we brainstormed a bunch of different ideas and whatever Linnea wanted to do amongst those ideas i would support her and she chose to talk to a counselor at school which if if you've read the book, you know that didn't go well, but which I learned from was then, but then to also talk about what if it doesn't go well, then what? And you know, her and that friend are now super close and they talk about it and it's all great.
0: When Linnea was having some difficulties as a mom needing to get Help. Were you struggling with your own sense of am I to blame, or feeling like the system was blaming you? Was that a hindrance to uh, moving forward?
1: Not at first, because at first um, we were in crisis mode, and and that part of this whole thing was simply just trying to find the right doctor, the a doctor that could see her, working with our insurance company. Mm-hmm. I mean it was really crisis mode, but once she got stable or more stable and was kind of working her way towards recovery, and then even over you know the the following years, it, even as a parent who has close family support and close friend support, I still got some subtle thought you know um, kind of hints that maybe we were too we gave her too much or maybe we were too easy on her, or maybe we babied her, and these were very small things. But it made me realize what it would be like for families whose children are acting out, whose mothers also have depression. There is there If I felt blame, um, I can't imagine how parents without support and without knowledge must feel.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, coming forward in your book, which I've read and is very powerful, was there any moments of that book that you were particularly uncomfortable about? coming forward with?
1: Yes. (laughs) The night that I sat over my keyboard and and kept getting emails from my editor saying, dig deeper, dig deeper, dig (laughs) deeper, because of my brother's death by suicide. It started off a a sentence or two saying, oh, and by the way, and it ended up really digging into that um, most stigmatizing topic in the room around mental illness which is suicide death by suicide it's everywhere it's in the every single family that deals with mental illness it's either in the back of their minds or it's they've experienced it and it's very very stigmatizing and very much guilt and blame and it was only by reading Linnea's words that I finally was really able to grapple with that but I was afraid to put it out there
0: and, and what was the transition moment to become advocates? It was before the book, and I'm wondering if, if it was just a slow progression, or um, or was there one time you guys gave a talk and you said, "Wow, you know, we want to speak out broadly."
1: You know, it really started in the in the emergency room at Harborview, the psychiatric emergency room in Harborview, when Lania was. Um, we were still there for over ten hours, but there were men on stretchers and gurneys that. There were no beds, and they were crying. And Linnea was the one that's like, we have to do something. And then when we started to share her writing and our word, her words, and our agent said to us, do whatever you want to do, whether the book is ever published or not. And that was really what we wanted. You know, we it wasn't about whether the book was published. It was about, first of all, just having people see that to normalize this, that this happens to one in four families. And that, yes, this is what it can look like, and then eventually to give hope for recovery
0: and let's say um, a little bit about your daughter's recovery. How is she doing now?
1: she is she has a chronic illness that she um, manages and works on staying healthy all the time. I'm just t- constantly um, Im- just amazed at her courage and bravery to stay well and and to take you know take care of herself. but she's in graduate school, which of course Ramped up the anxiety and the exhaustion, but she's um, working towards a degree in healthcare leadership, and um, she's working. She lives, of course, lives independently, and has. um, She's, you know, she's doing really, really well. She's living really well, but she has to take good care of herself, as we all should, right? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Exactly, exactly. And what has your research shown in terms of transition? What what you know, interesting findings have you come across?
1: Um, In Washington State, for the last 10 years, for students who actually have been diagnosed and identified as having mental health conditions, over 50% of them drop out of high school every year.
0: Mm. As opposed to, what's the rate if you don't?
1: Uh, 80%.
0: That you will graduate, so a 30%
1: difference. Yeah, yeah. Mm and their um their life after high school the majority there's a lot the majority do not work do not go to school and many attempt a job and attempt to go to school mm-hmm. but can't sustain it but the ones who are going to school and are holding employment they have treatment that's you know they've learned how to advocate for themselves they're able to talk about their illness and the kind of assistance they need when they need it um, they're not hiding it, they're taking care of themselves, but, you know, that had to happen early.
0: And, and what does that look like in high school? What can teenagers and families do in high school?
1: For students who, who have identified and it, and are identified with a disability and have a or receive special ed services with an IEP, those students have a formal transition plan. And I know that there's stigma around special ed, but you don't... You know, you could be a student who has depression that actually... needs support to get through high school, and you can have an individual plan by law to help you identify the supports you need after high school that can help you get set up with the disability student services in the college. Um, But you have to self-identify to get all of that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of students don't feel comfortable. So I I would love to see every high school have more of of a mental health awareness activity so that students know about this
0: specifically about getting help, let's say they're just a 10th grader and they're feeling kind of blue, do they tend to just go to the regular
1: counselor? They I, they do tend to do that. Okay. Um, but again, if there's a lot of stigma around that, they probably won't. Mm-hmm. So if everybody knows where to go and what to do and what the symptoms are, and it's okay to do that, I think we'll, they'll have more of an opportunity to get the help they need. Mm-hmm.
0: And otherwise, I know that Therapists and counselors in the community who work with teenagers are actually not that common. Um, do you find that that's a, a barrier to for families looking for help when students are in high school ages? Yes,
1: yes. Mm-hmm. And if you do find one, oftentimes it's a long wait in order to get an appointment, or they're not taking new patients. I I get emails and phone calls from people all the time looking for. Um, treatment. And I guess if I were completely new to this whole thing and didn't know where to go or what to do, I would start with my general practitioner, but also perhaps work with, um, make phone calls to children's, to the, the university hospital, and and get through and, and say, where do I go? What do I do? Give me some resources, as well as with NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness.
0: And NAMI has over a thousand affiliates nationwide. You know, I was giving a talk once and I asked people to raise their hand. If they had heard of the campaign, it will get better. And so many of the students raised their hands for that. And when I said had they heard of NAMI or Bring Change to Mind, some of these other mental health ones, very few hands
1: went up. Well, and on our website, um, on, it's liniascinda.com, we have um, listed youth resources. And NAMI, of course, is one of those. Um, Depression Bipolar Support Alliance. Um, Linnea, some of Linea's favorite websites uh, that are, are specific to young adults and adolescents are on that. The Balanced Mind is a great place, um, and they're all, they're all listed there, specifically to that age group.
0: Mm. Do you see yourself continuing this for the, the long haul? You've been doing it how many years now? And...
1: <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> I, think, I think that um, uh, we, got, we have a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do. Do you th-
0: see things changing with teenagers speaking more openly or families speaking more openly? I do, but I'm
1: hopeful, just like when you were talking about, it gets better. I think if we had young people take this on as a human rights issue and took it on like they have um, the anti-bullying stigma and um, the gay and uh, lesbian mm-hmm. um the the whole push that they've done for equity and support for people, if they did that with this, I think we could really make changes. I really wish that we would get more. And there are high schools that are doing that. There are high school students that are doing that. But I think that's where um, there's going to be big change made.
0: Well, Cinda, this has been wonderful to talk today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Our website, findingmentalhealth.com, will have links to Cinda's website and her book. Thanks for joining us today on Finding Mental Health. If you like the podcast, please share it with your friends. You'll find us on Facebook and findingmentalhealth.com, where you will also find mental health resources. And to get future podcasts, please subscribe on iTunes. A big thanks to our production team production consultant Joshua McNichols, production assistant Selena Kariva, audio engineer C.J. Lazenby, and music by Grand Hallway through Jack Straw's artist program.